welcome to Performance Anxiety, a proud member of Pantheon Podcast Network. Steve Hackett joins us today. He's got a great live album coming out, but before we get into that, he tells me all about how he got started in music, and it wasn't through the guitar either. His time in Genesis is very well documented, including in his own book, A Genesis in My Bed. But Steve tells us his initial thoughts upon hearing Trespass and from Genesis to Revelation and what he thought about the band at the time. He's also recorded 28 solo albums in addition to countless collaborations, including music with Steve Howe, Chris Squire, and Brian May. And he discusses who he's listening to now and who can pick up the torch and create new non-stagnant forms of music. Go to www.hackettsongs.com to order his new live album, it features Selling England by the Pound and Spectral Mornings. Follow him on social media. Follow us at Performance ANX. If you like us, give us a review wherever you listen. I know what I like, and it's this episode with Steve Hackett on Performance Anxiety. Hi there, this is Steve Hackett. You're listening to Performance Anxiety. The first thing I, need, I, I always like to find out from guests is how how did you get into music in the first place? I mean, was your family a, a musical family? Was there a lot of music in the house growing up? Uh, yeah, uh, my dad played a number of instruments just for fun. And um, I started trying to make music from the age of about two. I, I was oh. uh, wow. He gave me a harmonica and I was... You know, most kids would have gone, yep, leave it on to the next thing. But right. I, I, I was mad keen on it, apparently, uh, ever since I was two. That I was, uh, my mother says I was playing the same tune over and over again. <laughs> but I know what I was doing. I do remember I was trying to isolate the notes. And by the time I managed to isolate the notes, then I realized I could play tunes on it. And so I can't tell you exactly when that happened. It's around about the time of, of three or four years old. And, um, Wow. I remember exactly what the tunes were. They were, one was Scotland the Brave, the other one was God, uh, whatever it's called, the the English National Anthem, you know. Oh. Uh, uh, what's it, Queen? God and, Save um, the Queen? Yeah, that's it, God Save the Queen. And um, and the other one, I think, was Yellow Rose of Texas. So oh, wow. They're all kind of very place-orientated, aren't they? You know, Scotland, there's Scotland, there's... Uh, there's England and, the, and there's Texas, you know, in mind. <laughs> Not that I had any idea what Texas was or where it was at that age, but um, I was to visit eventually, of course. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was really my dad was the, the introduction to uh, to music. He, he was able to, able to play a number of things, mainly windblown things. He did a bit of bugle, a bit of clarinet, a bit of oh, wow. uh, harmonica. And um, and eventually he was the one who introduced me to guitar um, okay. some years later. So um, about how old were you when you first... got introduced to guitar? Well, the, it was a pretty big guitar. Uh, my dad brought it back from Canada, and I, I I was just about able to get my arms around it when I was twelve, and um, so I was messing around playing lead things on it, but. He showed me some chords when I was about 14. Then it was every day I was mad keen on it. I once he showed me three chords, and that was it. I was I was I was hooked, and um, and that's been it until the present day, of course. So uh, and you still do play some harmonica. I do still play harmonica. That's right. Yeah, yeah. 
I'm, I'm a great. I love blues. I love blues harmonica. Uh, Paul Butterfield was my was my favourite, but there were many others too. Little Walter. Oh um, yeah. Danny Boy Williamson. Uh, many others, but um, I loved the sound of distorted um, harp. You know, um, yeah, yeah. where it was a little bit like a guitar, a little bit like a trumpet, um, with vibratos with it, and um, and uh, it's a very expressive little instrument. Oh um, yeah. The chromatic gives you more notes, but it's the it's the blues harp that gives you the sound, really. When did you start playing in bands? How old were you when you started actually venturing out and playing in public? Well, I think I was, from the age of about 16, I was trying to get things together. I was trying okay. to get a band together. Uh, abortive attempts, of course. Uh, the occasional gig here, there, and everywhere. Um, I made an album with a band called Quiet World, in 1970, yes. a year before meeting Genesis. I joined. I met them in '70. Joined them at the beginning of '71, uh, and uh, it was a very busy time indeed. Oh yeah! So you, you famously put a, an ad out, which is how you met Peter Gabriel and the rest of, yeah. of Genesis. And you know, you, you said you wanted to uh, go beyond the uh, existing um, music forms. Yeah, egg, egg, yeah. exactly. And, and if I'm if I read everything correctly, Peter suggested you listen to Trespass before yes. you, you play with him. What were your thoughts on Trespass? And did you listen to uh, From Genesis to Revelation at that time? And what were, you, what, were you th what were your thoughts on the guitar work on those two albums? Right. Well, I think they were less keen as a band on Genesis to Revelation. I think yeah. that they felt that, um, uh, that Trespass was more what they were all about. And one track in particular, which was Stagnation. And um, that track, as as several others, uh, famously had this sound combination that was a cross between guitars and keyboards, uh, um, twelve strings. Sometimes twelve string put through a uh, a Leslie cabinet right. or two, and so it sounded as if you could be listening to a a team of harpsichord players. It was um, it was an interesting sound texture. Lots of chiming stuff mm -hmm. happening together. Um, there was a certain amount of influence of um, Jim McGuinn and uh, the Birds, but in a way, uh, Genesis uh, twelve-string sound was was gentler and more acoustic, but nonetheless, it it had a very subtle kind of energy about it. And and now, you know, when I hear guitars and I think, oh, wonderful, yeah, I just do a, a very simple album of guitars screaming away and playing as fast as possible. And then I think to myself, yeah, but there's this other aspect of guitars where they can function in a very subtle way and yeah. they can chime away and um, and live, I still use it, um, sometimes mixed with sympathetic keyboards, sometimes it's harpsichord, sometimes it's guitar sample, sometimes it's a variax and we have all these things chiming away, sometimes it's two real 12 strings. 
And uh, I think all of these things chiming away can create a very sympathetic sound. So latest live thing I'm about to release features some of that with, with the whole of Selling England by the Pound. So, yeah, um, yeah. Back that's, to it's a very ambitious uh, set list on that. Yeah. That, yeah. And I, I want to ask you some questions about that, but I, I wanted to, when you first listened to Trespass, was it an instant attraction to the band or was it more you listening to the potential of what it could be? Um, I think it was, I think because Genesis had this uh, very subtle approach, it was not really a rock band. Um, yeah. Half the songs we played together live in those first six months or so were um, acoustic pieces. And oh. um, they really used to stretch, try, it used to try the patience of audiences <laughs> at that time. Um, Genesis was not a famous band. And when you're playing to students, we had to compete with the bar for a start, <laughs> which would often be in the same room, and we get drowned out and. Uh, and oh, I used man. to long for the loud moments. Yeah. Uh, I think the quiet moments obviously had great subtlety. So in a way, Genesis had this kind of impressionistic aspect to, to the music. Um, I think it was, you know, closer to Debussy in a way, you know, sound, uh, what do they call them, you know, tone poems, this kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Um, Genesis was a band that had taken on board this kind of thing. Whether or not it was conscious, I, I can't say because I was not uh, a founder member. I, I joined as they were about to embark on the third album. Right. Some of the stuff was written, a, a lot of it we, we wrote together. It was an extraordinary time. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, we just acquired a Mellotron. And, um, now that, that was your influence, though, wasn't it? It was, yeah. I knew we needed a Mellotron. I knew we needed to um, expand the keyboard possibilities. So, um, yeah, there was something about that. I knew that Genesis would benefit from sounding like a kind of an orchestra from time to time. I knew we needed that. About a year later, I, I knew we needed to get a synthesizer. I certainly knew that we needed to get a a light show. Oh. Um, and so, you know, the presentation was all important. And Pete ran with the ball with all of that. And oh, yeah, famously. The action and became the personification of the music um, very much in those in those early days. So uh, it was it was a band that I was intrigued by rather than, wow, you know, I've got to, I've got to join this. I, I thought, OK, you know, the band is at, a, is, is at a certain point if I throw my lot in with them i think i can i can give it something and i think it will stand a more excitement and a harder edge and 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 all of that and i've never really written in a team before so i had yeah. to learn um that you know band politics was you know something that would perhaps slow that down you know my trajectory yeah. within it um but um and genesis was famous for that Oh. For band politics, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Band <laughs> politics. Um, every band, every band is, you know. Um, but um, I think that it became an extraordinary band over time. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, with, I think, with my encouragement, I like to think that Tony managed to shine. I was, I was mad keen on, on, um, you know, what the keyboard could do because I knew that, yeah. that 
he had access to far uh, wider harmonies than could be conjured in one go on a, on a guitar. So I was and remain a big fan of the keyboard um, for a guitarist. That's not necessarily the most obvious thing to um, be looking at. But then oh, I, for sure. I, I tend to think like a keyboard player. Oh, really? Uh, and I think like an orchestrator. Yeah, I'm all my ambitions are, are, are you know, in, in that in that area. Okay. Not that I want to sit down and play keyboard myself. I mean, it's a means to an end. It's 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 a key to the door of harmony rather than the thing that I want to spend the rest of my life doing. I, I, okay. You know, I've got, I, I know my way around on guitar, but when it comes to keyboard, um, um, I have to go. Oh yeah, yeah. Where does where does C start? You know, um, total uh, so, beginner stuff. So it's exploration for you. Yeah, I think that you can demonstrate things on keyboard that um, on guitar would be more difficult to do. I mean, yeah, to be able to access samples and be able to sound anything from a pipe organ to a string orchestra. Um, yeah. By the time you've programmed this stuff up, um, I mean, it really is indistinguishable from the stuff in real time these days. Yeah, no uh, kidding. It's it's amazing the, the progress. Yeah, some fantastic stuff around incredible software, which isn't a thrilling word, but in <laughs> practice, it's <laughs> yeah, it's it's not. It's not a very sexy word, but the possibilities are, are really endless. It's just a case of how much patience have you got and how skilled is your programmer come arranger come <laughs> um, and uh, all the rest. Yeah, I, it's, it's, um, it's an extension. I, I think there isn't really any separation between living room and studio and TV and not anymore. And all it, it's all not anymore. No, it, it's all it's all one really. The writing process and rehearsing process. It's all it's all one. Speaking of of that, now how did you decide to start doing solo work? Because your first solo album came out while you were with still with Genesis. Yeah. extremely shaky um, after we'd lost Peter Gabriel as lead vocalist after yeah. Lamb Lies Down on Broadway um, he'd been champing at the bit for quite some time he actually wanted to go away and, and write a screenplay with William Friedkin who just directed The Exorcist and oh, okay. um, Friedkin was keen on Pete writing some kind of treatment for the screen oh. and uh, but he was horrified. Freakin was horrified that the price of that meant that Genesis would lose, lose its lead singer. And um, wow. he decided that he was going to drop the idea. And Pete came back to Genesis, said he would do one more album, fulfill all the touring commitments. And then, um, and then he was going to essentially certainly take a rest from music which which he did for a while um yeah. he wanted to devote more time to family 
so th there were other pressures that um, were uh, uh, over and above being the lead singer of a of a hot band. Yeah, and I respect him for the for those decisions. Oh yeah, yeah. I do that. I, I understand it. And then you you two albums later you decided to embark on your solo career. Yeah, and I, mainly because I was really forbidden from continuing to have a parallel solo career. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, by Tony and Mike, who'd become the uh, controlling interest within the group as founder members. And I thought, well, there are no guarantees of getting my songs done by the band. Tony has all these guarantees of getting his his stuff done because he's insistent and he's a founder member and he has yeah. the alliance the alliance with Mike so they always voted as a pair and um, now I'm not complaining about that I suspect that had I formed Genesis myself at school I I, I may have felt the same way that, that the band is a vehicle for me to get my, my all my songs done um, right. but you know the, the lines are very much more clearly drawn up when, when you're working on somebody's album. If I'm working on an album by me, for instance, everyone does what they, they can to please what, what I want. Right. Um, and if I, if I work on someone else's project, I realize that I'm there to serve their project, whether it's two minutes involvement that I have or two weeks. And yeah. Um, as it was when I was working with Chris Squire, for instance, when I first started working with him. Uh, it was two weeks' work, flat out. He had a very tight time schedule, and he wanted me to play guitar on the entire album. And so um, I worked very hard to bring that in. And um, we became great friends over that. He, he was he was very pleased with the result. Was that the, the Squack It album? It wasn't the Squack It album. Okay. It, it was an album of Christmas songs. Oh, um, okay. Um, Chris Squire's Swiss Choir and um, uh, it was well known well known uh, um, Christmas carols and, and um, all sung by um, a choir but also with rock band so okay. I spent a couple of weeks doing things which sounded pretty much like you know we were talking about the birds and Jim mm -hmm. McGuinn um, the guitar work I did on that was remarkably similar to that I thought Christmas album Jingle Bells Jangle Guitar um, yeah. so it sounded very much like that and so when it was mixed it was given vocal priority and you can hardly hear the guitar at all but that wasn't <laughs> his fault I didn't mind at all um, the fact is that I I did it and the, and they and those the sound of it was was absolutely wonderful yeah. so um, yeah I don't know how we got here what, what the question is <laughs> I'm off Oh, no that's yeah. that's, uh, that's that's what the whole show is about. It's just conversation. So it's, there's, I don't sure. mind tangents at all. Right. So after I'd say what what is it seven or eight solo albums, you you actually went back to being in a band with GTR. Was that yeah? Was that a difficult process after so many solo albums to start writing as a band as a, as a member of a band again?
most of the stuff was written between myself and Steve Howe. I liked the idea okay. of working with him. Again, it was this association with Yes that had gone back several years. Yeah. Um, I, I befriended uh, Pete Banks, uh, who was the original oh, guitarist yeah. of, of Yes. And he asked me to work on his solo album. So he was on it. Jan Ackerman was on it. I was on it. John Wetton, Phil Collins was on it. Wow. Uh, it was heavily guested. And then all these years later, I end up working with Steve Howe and I end up working with, with Chris Squire. And working in a band uh, format with Steve Howe was, um, I guess, a, a return to the idea of working within a team yeah. where uh, you can't get all your own way. But on the other hand, as regards the writing, it was really sort of neck and neck with the two of us. I mean, the first day we, we started working, he played me some stuff he'd recorded at home and I already had a song and I thought the instrumental part to what he was playing me was really strong. Um, yeah. When the heart rolls the mind, that instrumental part at the beginning was something he already had written and the song, I already had an idea of the song that when the heart rolls the mind, the, the, the idea of the, the top line and melody um, and we started writing the lyrics together. So I said to him on the second day, thinking we'll either have a songwriting partnership here or we won't. And I'm going to say to him something very controversial. And I said, um, I think your song has a great instrumental part, but I believe I've got something here which might be stronger as a song. What if we merged the two? And he said, OK, why not? And, uh, and so, you know, his shoulders were broad enough to... Oh, that's awesome. Know, take on board the idea that you know, we'll be stronger with you know two heads yeah. on this and so i think it was a very a very good tune um i funny enough i re-recorded it um, in recent times with steve rollery uh and it showed up on a compilation album i worked oh, on cool. but it was great to revisit that and i had great fun uh, uh, uh doing that and uh, i'm i may go at it again and add some more touches so um, <laughs> it was great fun it now, was great fun to work on that I read different uses of guitar different types of guitar GTR was born and I noticed after that that people started to make a very literal guitar albums and these guitar pairings or three guitarists four guitarists whatever yeah. you know, when it was Pax of Lucia John McLaughlin Aldi Miola yeah. his guitarists getting together and um, uh, so in a way, I think we spawned a whole kind of thing, you know, Jeff Beck's guitar workshop. Yes. People naming things. Here we are. Here come the guitarists again. The fight back of the guitar after keyboards had reigned supreme th perhaps throughout the 1980s. Oh, you mm. don't need guitars because, you know, it's it's an outmoded, superseded instrument. Yeah. And who exactly. would disagree with those words of wisdom? Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but, but we did, and I think I think we started something. Perhaps it was going back to an older model, the idea of what Keith Richards and Brian Jones had done in The Stones, and what uh, Jeff Beck and uh, Jimmy Page had done in The Yardbirds together, the idea that you can have two guys. Two leads. You can have two guitarists doing things and not necessarily getting in each other's ways. So yeah, yeah. It can work, it can work very well. Uh, it's it's an interesting combination. That's all I can say. I read that at the end of GTR, you actually ended up recording some demos as GTR with Brian May. Has that is that first of all did that act did that happen and has that ever been released? Yeah, 
Um, yeah, eventually that stuff came out um, under the name of Feedback 86. Oh, okay. Thompson, who've been singing with Man's, Man's Earth Band. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bonnie Tyler, to mention just a few wow. notables in the um, in the guitar and singing department. And so um, that was very, um, very interesting uh, at that time. And um, of course, people had their own commitments to their own bands. I mean, of course, yeah. Brian and, and Queen were still very much up and running as, as a going concern and so he was a very busy guy oh, yeah. um, he's always a very busy guy always a very busy guy and I'm sure very busy even even now and that we yeah. see each other from time to time uh, very sweet guy very very driven very um, very low key on one level but um, obviously a brilliant uh, a brilliant band leader I oh think. yeah yeah uh, both I think with Brian I, I said to him the obvious, which was the, the things that characterize Queen, are your guitar playing, the guitar orchestra, yeah, and and the harmony vocals, you know, featuring Freddie and, and all the rest. It's the, the vocals and the guitars, or the guitars and vocals that define the coloring of of that band. Oh, yeah, um, so dynamic. And the multi-layered thing whereby I suspect as a live band, they would be forced to do something really rather different you can understand that we will rock you the simplicity of something like that versus the heavy multi-layered thing of of all these guitar harmonies which brian says when i first met him he, he said oh you know i was very influenced by the genesis track musical box first wow. track nursery crime and then i thought yes right at the end the guitar goes into a three-part harmony one of the high points at that time but I had no idea that that was going to influence him <laughs> of course there was tapping there were guitar harmonies and um, I mean I think of, of, of Queen as, as a hugely um, influential band and to think that we've influenced each other and other guitarists sometimes crop up and say that you know that they've been influenced by me and i'll be influenced by them in turn you know van yeah. halen eddie van halen alex lyson oh, yeah. um and these are all people that that listen to each other um, yeah exactly so um there's room for everybody that's the main thing we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors 
So you've done 28 solo albums, six Genesis albums, and plus one EP. Uh, the GTR album, Squack It, Quiet World. Do you ever find yourself with writer's block or, or writing a new song and thinking, oh, crap, I, I, I did that in like 1992. I, is it hard to come well, up with new ideas after that many albums? I think the way to search for new ideas is to work with musicians around the world and not necessarily to embrace the term world music, but to work with people who are playing instruments that are less familiar and to try and broaden Rock's shoulders. So uh, the clarion call that I had back in the day of the ad that Peter Gabriel answered mm -hmm. was, that was five years of advertising before I perfected the words for that ad that eventually <laughs> uh, found their mark. Uh, so five years later, now of course, decades later, I'm thinking, well, uh, in order to live up to that, the idea is, is ex existing stagnant music forms, then you must uh, uh, take on board this pan-genre approach and look at other styles. And in order to do that, you have to look at instruments from all over the world. So just for instance, recently, I bought a Vietnamese stringed instrument called something they call a Dian Shine. Um, Okay. Easily mistaken for a koto in many people's books. Uh, okay. The Oriental harp, the Chinese harp, the Vietnamese. Um, and I've been recording with that and oh, also wow. uh, Chinese flute, the Ditsi. And I've been working with um, Duduk from Armenia um, and the Tar from Azerbaijan. And I'm going to be working with a guy from Tajikistan playing a thing called the Dutar which is a two-stringed instrument. But oh, wow. What they play on that is, is highly rhythmic. The right hand moves as you're strumming are at least as complex as the most complicated of moves that you hear from flamenco guitarists. Oh, um, wow. But it's essentially based on the idea of a sympathetic drone because it's two-stringed. Um, is it but, similar to like a, a shamisen? Um, not really, no, okay. no. It's... Um, they can play it slowly or, or very, very fast. When I think of the shamisen, what, what I'm aware of is, you know, this very slow thing. I think that if I was to do shamisen, um, uh, it would be a little bit... I would probably use the Vietnamese instrument, and indeed I've played it in a shamisen-like manner on okay. something new I'm working on. But then there's, all, there's also the, the uh, things that are more recognizably rock and roll, and, and also... Um, having been very influenced by Russian composers, I've been working on something recently that's got an aspect of Prokofiev and Tchaikovsky and Stravinsky, oh, all wow. of those things, because they're harmonically very informed, but also Stravinsky, very rhythmically informed stuff. So um, these are guys who really knew their way around the orchestra, but with very different personalities musically. Okay. All right. So you've got a new live album coming out. Yeah. And it yep. celebrates Selling England by the Pound and yep. a lot of your first solo album, if I'm correct. And then a little bit more of of, uh, of the of Nursery Crime at the end. Um, yeah. Um, there's, there's various things. There's uh, Spectral Mornings. There's, uh, there's uh, most of Spectral Mornings. There's some stuff from At the Edge of Light, which is the most recent album. And there's also a couple of things from Trick of the Tail, to be, to be honest. Okay. Uh, uh, 
and um, but it, it's it's a, a kind of um, the set that we played live was nearly three hours long with a twenty minute break in in the middle. That's amazing. So, I always say people can go and powder their nose in the break, <laughs> uh, but essentially it's it's about that long. Uh, the CD version has the chat cut down, so <laughs> song to song. But the the DVD stroke Blu-ray has all all the stuff with the introductions and the whole thing. So you can skip ahead if you want to get past the uh, <laughs> the intros. Yeah, <laughs> and, that's the uh, stuff that I love. Let's get get to the favorite tune. Boom. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's really. But I, I loved selling England's and still do. It's, yeah. it's the album that John Lennon picked up on the band um, at that time and said we were one of the bands he was listening to. And so wow. it's. It, I, I was very pleased with the album at the time and thought it was very idiosyncratic, very individual, ex hugely ex eccentric, and very very British, very English. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I was thrilled that that he. Uh, was listening to us at that time after we'd all spent so much time listening to to him and his little band you right, know? yeah <laughs> yeah well wow. um that was that was a great feather in our in, in our cap oh absolutely how difficult was it to put the band together i mean peter gabriel has a very unique voice and very unique style of singing that's yep. not easy to replicate and and nad sylvan does an incredible job uh, well, the band had been in existence for a while. We were spending half the show doing the Genesis stuff and the yeah. other half solo stuff. And um, so it was really basically two sets with, with a 20-minute break in the yeah. middle. And um, Nad has the ability to sound like Peter at times or like Phil or even covering some of the stuff I did with Richie Havens. I deepens his voice and has that the ability to channel it seems and um, and then the, the the latest additions to the group were Jonas Reingold on, on bass and very excellent 12 string and is another Swedish guy along with Nad and Craig Blundell who'd been working with Stephen Wilson and many others very very busy guy yeah. at the moment <laughs> and we're just starting to record together uh, so in the lockdown, um, there's been the live album and there are various things that are being lined up to follow, all very different yeah. to each other. Okay. Kind of halfway through a new a new rock album, but it has these world music aspects to it. So oh, cool. that's going extremely well, extremely experimental at times. And uh, Oh, great. Uh, I think that anyone who's thrilled with the mixture of rock bands working with orchestras i've got a feeling that this might well suit them it's it's something that i think it was always ever since the beatles did i'm the walrus the idea of working with an orchestra was always a very tantalizing prospect eleanor rigby and i'm the walrus the two yeah. greatest uses of of orchestra with the beatles and i think Procol harem with two tracks on a salty dog the title track a salty dog yes fabulous orchestral arrangement as we all thought in genesis and the wreck of the hesperus again a marvelous orchestral arrangement around around a tune uh, around around matthew fisher's time with the band with that band and gary brooker of course yeah. um uh so yeah th those are probably four examples i think of of, of songs that uh, were just transcendent 
due to the use and the incorporation of of orchestra. Well, I know we're running a little over here. I know I only have you for a limited sure, limited yeah, time. I, I, yeah, I have a, just a couple. I, I asked on social media yeah. if, if anybody has any questions for you, and I got I got a bunch of responses. So I wanted okay. to throw a couple out to you if you don't mind. Sure. Before we Go wrap ahead. up. All right. Yep. Sean Cavanaugh. Well, enjoying Genesis again? No. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get that one out there. Yeah, okay. And, uh, you know, what's Peter Gabriel like is the uh, is the one that came up mostly. So I don't. What's he like? Yeah. He's a very, very sweet guy. Very, very talented. And I do believe he cares about everybody. He's got a very big heart. He's a clever guy. And also very, very sweet. Very, 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 very nice guy. Very modest um, and not at all like any of the theatrical parts that he's played. No, he's not like an alien <laughs> with back wings. <laughs> or a big triangle. Yeah. He's very, very low-key, always was, apart from when he shaved his head in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was not a low-key no. look. No, a very dis- distinct look. Very distinctive. Uh, it lasted a while, then it was a passing phase. Sean Cavanaugh wanted to know, what is your stance on crop rotation practices in 14th century Europe? Oh, fantastic. Yes, that sounds like something <laughs> Wayne's world, doesn't it? Well, yeah. That, yes. The uh, agrarian revolution, of course, had yet to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And uh, we, we already got to one question, which were the thoughts on trespass and from Genesis to Revelation. Yes. And uh, my brother is possibly the biggest genesis fan from you know your era of genesis and right okay he, he wanted to know so this is after, this is from my brother he wanted to know after you looking back on the ad you, you sent that got peter gabriel's attention how yep. do you feel currently about the existing the, the stagnant the existing styles of music given that you know you've you've actually done a lot of stuff that right. may have been considered stagnant like the blues album and, and all yeah how do you sure. looking back on that how do you feel about the existing oh, well, styles of music okay if i could address uh that you know to do a blues album is working within a given tradition mm-hmm. to do a baroque album like tribute with pieces of bark is working within a given tradition right not everything i do has to be revolutionary sometimes it, it it's sometimes it's classical sometimes it's folk so some albums i think have been more experimental than others um but in terms of the existing scene at the moment there are two british bands that i think have perhaps carried the candle forward and kept it uh alight i'm funny enough i just befriended one guy recently guy garvey and uh, of elbow and um and i was saying to him you know what a great band i i thought they were yeah i've heard um, them and so again, there seemed to be this mutual appreciation about you know what we'd individually done, and um, and I also mentioned um, Muse because I felt that Muse were a band that were plainly taking the pan genre approach, where you would listen to one track and think oh, it's probably influenced by Prince, and the next minute it, it, there's something that's um, a piece of chopin or beethoven or whatever you know uh, yeah. and wander off into a into something like that um it's the sort of thing that nina simone would do because she was trained as a as a classical pianist she in the middle of of playing she would start to you know and singing all this soul stuff that she was so renowned for the fact that she wasn't allowed to go to music college and study because she was a black woman at a time when 
to be female would be enough to disqualify you. To be black would mean they'd run you out of town. And right. So, but nonetheless, she was a classical pianist, and she wanted to honour that original aspiration that she had as a young girl. And so she spoke about Bach as a master, a master musician. And um, what's that got to do with soul music and and her career? Well as a multifaceted artist. That's perhaps what it was was all about. So um, the current state of music, I find pretty predictable in the main. And yeah. so I'm not hearing a lot of exper experimentation. So maybe it seemed to be up to us older guys to continue to experiment. I, and I, I like to think that, that it might be possible for young bands to take a chance and say, um, if we get our stage show, together uh, post covid of course at, at right. this point but no one can really do it but everyone can certainly concentrate on their writing their recording and um I, i'm sorry to sound too much like batman <laughs> talking to robin and telling him how to how to head forwards but <laughs> this is an opportunity to go back to the drawing board and just and really come up with a great tune it's a good point yeah it's it, you know you know the there's no rush to get out there again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, touring will eventually happen, but you don't know when. Yes, it will. It, it will happen. And so I imagine that just as a result of you and I talking at this point in time, there'll be a band, there'll be a writer. Someone will, you know, say, hey, he's throwing down the gauntlet here. He's throwing down the challenge saying, I believe you can do it. You can yeah. um, usually... Um, I think that the, the best way to encourage it is criticism doesn't really work. It's no good pointing the finger and saying, you know, you ought to try harder. It's not like that. It's, right. I think that if you compliment someone on the small strides that they're making, because it all starts off as, as, as small strides, if you're positive and you encourage people, I've seen it happen. I remember a young sax player who was just starting out. I was due to play with him at his father's funeral. I mean, you know, a, a memorial. And yeah. I said, well, let's try this. And it was a, a piece that I thought would be difficult for him. But he was either going to say to me at some point in time, he was either going to say, this is too difficult. I can't do this. I'm going to give up. Or he's going to rise to the challenge, which he did. Six months later, he came back and he already sounded like a virtuoso wow. player. That happened just by saying the right thing at the right time. So please do not discourage your son, your daughter, your cousin, your husband, your brother. Don't do that just because they don't sound like B.B. King meets um, Paco de Lucia. Um, <laughs> today uh, they might tomorrow and so um it's important to stand back and wait for that that flower to grow right yeah absolutely where can people find the new album how can they order it and uh well keep track uh, of what's going on from, they can order from hackettsongs.com okay um it, my my website is is hackettsongs.com and that points people towards the web store which is called sandbag and okay. um, that store we share with a number of other acts. It's it's a pretty big organization. Okay. And um, Radiohead, for instance, uh, oh, wow. use Sandbag. As, and so we share that same 
I've heard of them. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Uh, they're very, very good. <laughs> uh, so that's one place you can order it from. Uh, the official release date is on the 25th of uh, this month. Okay. So, uh, but there are people who've already gotten hold of of copies, press, and and yeah. and, and what have you. Um, so it seems to be doing well. I've done that. I, there's there's my book, which is called A Genesis in My Bed. If you want to hear more about me spouting off and, and throwing light on what happened in the past and uh, why was I why was I lucky, um, it, it'll it'll give you an idea of how I got to. Um, to today from from way back from quiet world all the way to the performance anxiety podcast it's amazing yeah so, <laughs> yes yeah is there is there a, a social media presence that, that people can follow like instagram or twitter that you'd like to throw uh, out yeah we we do um we do twitter yeah we we do that um there's there's Facebook, although I don't operate it myself because otherwise I would be inundated with, <laughs> with uh, and then, I'm wanting to be my friend. So that's at one stage removed. There's the website, hackitsongs.com, uh, which people can, um, you know, look at. There's, yeah. there's um, tons of videos. There's uh, there's in, in two, the two preview videos from the upcoming album. Basically, the, the live album, is a dvd it is also blu-ray right um some tracks have already been released i believe the track um under the eye of the sun has yes. been out there um deja vu One Genesis track, one you know, a, a long lost Genesis track. Yeah. Um, one thing from solo from At the Edge of Light. Uh, so those two have been um, have been released, and um, I believe there's a third coming, and I can't remember off the top of my head uh, what that one might be. But that's okay. We'll know, just I I can barely keep up. There's so much stuff. That'll just get more people going back to the site to check it out and see what it see what it'll be. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it happened to be a great evening at Hammersmith uh, last year, and um, it, it was it was a great show. It's got a it's the the stereo mix is by Roger King, the the, the surround mix is by Stephen Wilson. Yeah. For, for those who've got it in surround, and uh, it's available on vinyl. It's some of it's available on green vinyl. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All these formats, um, yeah, and, it's, and there's an art book with pictures. Oh, cool! And, uh, there's masses of, of of different formats out there of this stuff, but it's essentially it's selling England by the pound live with Spectral Mornings. Yeah, that's how it's built live at, at Hammersmith. Um, and from what I've uh, what I've heard of it is amazing. It's it's so well, good. It was it was a great evening. Uh, the band had been playing that set, you know, for the best part of a year, and wow. so they knew it. The band knew it very well, and it, it was lovely to be able to do songs like, for instance, "More Fool Me," which was on "Selling England by the Pound," yeah. which was just one guitar and and Phil on early vocals. But the way we did it, we had 
you know, two guitars, keyboard, two guitars and two keyboards, just to flesh wow. it out a little bit. It's still basically an acoustic stroke orchestral arrangement on it, but um, okay. but Nad, Nad sing, sings it wonderfully, as if it was written for him. And, um, you know, there's an aspect of Cinderella songs that get to go to the ball in the, in the finest dresses. Yeah. <laughs> well, That's I'm, how I see it. I've loved Nad's performance on that, and I'm going to go check his discography out more now because because of this. Yeah. So yeah. I appreciate you exposing me to some new new people that I've yeah. really gotten into. So thank you. Yeah, no, Nad's you know no, no slouch. He's got very interesting stuff himself, and um, he's getting stronger all the time. So yeah. that's that's great, and I'm very very pleased to be able to bring people like Nad forward uh, for others to. Um, to celebrate so um that's uh, part of what it's all about thank you for so much time i really do appreciate it thank you It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.